as we look to our Lord in prayer. And Father, thank you for the way in which you used the financial illustration of 2 Corinthians 8-9 to draw our attention to the eternal dimension, the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus rich becomes poor, we poor become rich. The result, Father, of that transaction at the cross is that we find that your grace is sufficient to meet our needs. The one that comes into any of these services today, not knowing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, oh, they might have a religious background. They might be a good person. But nonetheless, we all fall short of that perfect standard you set. But there is that one who met that standard and then died in the place for the rest of us, for our sins. So no matter if somebody comes religiously curious, unsaved, secularly oriented, unsaved, we're praying that by your grace you will penetrate that heart, remove the confusion of the mind, show them what matters most as time and eternity collide at the cross of Jesus Christ, they'll put their faith and trust in Jesus. The minutes you give us are important. Warm these hearts. Engage these minds. Shape these wills. Again now, Father, we've come here to see Jesus and, and him only. I'm praying these things again now in Jesus' name. Amen. These past days, Kevin sent me an email and it read, before the Category 4 hurricane picked up momentum, crisis response was already coordinating with regional district superintendents of the Free Church of America and had begun the initial process of mobilizing people for the hurricane. Several trucks, trailers, loaded with tools, supplies, equipment, targeted for the Carolinas, positions so that we can come alongside churches to share the love of Jesus Christ. The Free Church of America is ready. It's the next paragraph that then seized my attention. Our experience has consistently shown that crises bring about an incredible openness to spiritual conversations. He italicizes what comes next. We call this the mission field that follows crisis. The mission field which follows crisis. Invariably, people are going to be asking questions. Why? Why me? Is there a God? These are questions that biblically based Churches are qualified to address. Churches that have invested efforts and preparedness are ready to step into the fray, answer these pressing questions, pointing neighbors and communities to the open arms of Jesus Christ. And then Kevin said, hey, Gar, in the midst of it all, medical personnel need it. Carpenters need it. Plumbers need it. Electricians need it. 
Financial people need it. As we entered into now crisis and ask how do we impact these people on the mission field after the crisis has occurred. Now maybe yours is not a hurricane crisis. Maybe yours is some kind of major family crisis. But whatever the crises are, people are asking the significant questions Where's God? Does God care? And do Christians have anything to offer us in the midst of these crises times? Well, there are answers to these things. And what fascinates me now is that the Apostle Paul, looking at the famine-based, impoverished church in Jerusalem, is putting together what you and I might describe as a crisis response team. Utilizing Titus and some unnamed people who will come alongside Titus to make absolutely certain that risky venture of taking the financial support from the Gentile churches within Greece will bring those financial resources to the challenged people in Jerusalem so that we're looking out for one another. Paul's looking out. We are looking out. We need to remain at cutting edge in all these services this morning. And so what I want to do now is to draw out three significant developments that I see here in these verses that have something to do with the way in which we go about maintaining trust with one another as we provide acts of grace. Acts of grace. We've spotted them now in these verses. Acts of grace to meet the needs of those in crises. The first comes out of verses 16 and 17, and we're going to phrase it like this. The number one is, you and I, as we pursue acts of grace, maintaining trust is important here. As we first of all develop mutual care for one another. He begins in verse 16, it appears on the screen. And it says, and thanks, but thanks be to God, who put into the heart of Titus the same earnest care I have for you. Ask yourself now, how is God putting care in my heart to minister to someone or some people who are in crisis mode? The Apostle Paul now is giving thanks as he should to God. God is always our starting point, you see, the Trinitarian God. And notice now that he's again utilizing spiritual cardiology because the Greek word here for heart, again, is kardios, who put into the heart of whom? Titus. So likewise, at that time period, an Apostle Paul mentors, disciples, equips a Titus or a Timothy so that the baton of ministry is being carried forward. But what you, what you want to know is something about that person's heart. As we've said, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. And you need to have a big heart to be able to minister effectively. Thanks be to God who put into the heart of Titus now the same earnest care I have for you. And they know Paul cares. Do people know you care? 
Now, Titus not only would be the one to deliver these resources to the church in Jerusalem, that was a test because eventually he would become a pastor on the Isle of Crete, one of the Greek islands. Show the pictures, if you would, of, a, of the, churches, the church of Crete today because this is known as the church of St. Titus in Crete. Family members, we stood there on the outside and on the inside of this church in Heraklion. And there what you and I ponder is the way in which the gospel penetrated that region generation after generation after generation in conflict with the false spiritual gods in the Greek pantheon. Here's the singular God who sent his son Jesus Christ, the ultimate act of grace who died in our place, your place, for our sins. And now God has positioned Titus, who has been mentored by Paul on the Isle of Crete, to have impact upon them, just as in a previous time he did for the church in Jerusalem that was being challenged. He's been well discipled by Paul. Who are you discipling? Back to the text on the screen. The Apostle Paul says, but thanks be to God who put into the heart, Paul didn't put it into the heart of Titus, God did, the same earnest care I have for you. And they know that Paul cares. But now they know there's something mutual here because they're finding out that Titus cares. Verse 17. For he not only accepted our appeal, but being himself very earnest, he's going to you of his own accord. Leaders, Take initiative. They inspire people. They influence people. They take initiative among people. The INs of leadership, I describe it as influence, inspiration, initiative, and so forth. And what we need to convey here is that sense of I care. You ever felt as though the word friend just simply falls short of the mark when you love someone, when you care deeply for that person? You're looking for that word, and maybe it's just not there in the English language, you see. Well, in the early days of the Europeans arriving here on the North American continent, they found the same challenge. And although the North American Indians had no written alphabet before they met, those that would colonize these regions. Their language was anything but primitive. Take, for example, the word friend. It wasn't found among the natives. One particular tribe had this expression instead of the simple word friend. Quote, one who carries my sorrows on his back. Unquote. Paul wants the church in Jerusalem to know that Titus carries the burdens, the sorrows on his back. And that's what would be carried into Crete as well. I pick up the phone. It's a, it's a pastoral search committee from another state. And they're asking a question with regard to somebody that they want to consider to become their senior pastor. 
They know I know the man they're considering. And they tell me he's brilliant. He's eloquent. But what we're trying to get to now is how do we know if he cares for people? How do you measure that? I pause and I say, find out how he handles funerals. Because when people are in crisis mode when it comes to matters of death, a pastor has roughly, give or take, 72 hours to provide care relationally, to provide care administratively, in the organization of all aspects of the funeral and working with the funeral directors and on and on how to provide care expositionally, where he's going to have to stand in front of grieving people and take God's word and look them in the eye and bring love and truth into their souls. He can't do it mechanically. It's got to be done pastorally. Find out if he can do it. He's your man. Titus is their man. As we pursue acts of grace, pointing people to the ultimate act of grace, the cross of Jesus Christ, where Jesus died in our place for our sins, we develop mutual care for one another. For you see, as we trust in the God of grace, he entrusts us to do acts of grace and trust and entrust need to be connected together, you see. And the challenge so often, if we're word-based but not action-based, is that we communicate trust, but we don't demonstrate the fact that we are called to embrace what is to be entrusted by acts of grace. And meanwhile, Kevin is calling out all medical personnel, all carpenters, plumbers, electricians, financial people, and the likes. Understand the crisis of the moment and that our experience has consistently shown that crises bring about an incredible openness to spiritual conversations. And we call this, we call this the mission field that follows crisis, where all of a sudden people have a sense of self-awareness that what I was relying upon to get me through life was not enough. I need to understand the purpose of why I'm here and where I'm going. Side note, responding to Kevin's request, if you fit one of those categories and you think you can be of help, call Free Church Headquarters, or better yet, go on the Evangelical Free Church of America's website. See how you can be part of a crisis response team. And... Uh, 
make a difference. But maybe you're called just simply to be part of a crisis response team, medically, right here, relationally, right here. You've got to ask yourself the questions now. Am I involved in mutual care? I can't just pull the trigger and all of a sudden start caring. It's got to be demonstrated. It's got to be cultivated. We've got to be maintaining this trust in which God entrusts. So first of all, via your, via your life groups, via youth group, via WANA, no matter what it is, we develop mutual care for one another. We do it through the various committees and boards of this church, but the acts of grace flow from the ultimate act of grace. We trust, he entrusts, and we see the synergy of it all. So now, verses 16 and 17, develop mutual care for one another. But you say, yeah, I've seen scams out there when it comes to organizations coming in, and trying to supposedly meet the needs of people elsewhere. How do you pull all together as a savvy, sophisticated Christian who's trying to figure out how you do ministry in a fallen world? You're asking good questions. Because second of all, as we pursue acts of grace, maintaining trust is important. Not only as we develop mutual care for one another, but now secondly, as we develop fiscal responsibility toward one another. Have you pondered how the word administer captures the word minister within it? Ad, minister. We administer what we minister, to whom we minister. And now in verse 18, in a fallen world, we've got to bear in mind there needs to be fiscal responsibility in the church to demonstrate in this fallen world world, how you do fiscal responsibility governmentally, politically, relationally, in the home. The church needs to be cutting edge in this area as well. Financial Peace University has been meeting on Tuesday nights, helps family units to manage money wisely. We think holistically everything under the lordship of Jesus Christ. But now you pick it up, you see, in verse 19, 18. And he says, with him, speaking of Titus, he's not going to go it alone, you see. With him, we are sending the brother who is famous among all the churches. So famous, I have no clue who this guy is, you see. It's the brother. But this brother evidently is so well known in that time period to all the other churches, he doesn't even have to be identified by name. They know he's talking about here. Use your device or look at the screen or follow it right there in God's word in your hand. In verse 18, with him we are sending the brother who's famous among all the churches. And I want to know what's his distinctive here? What's his credibility? Because what I am interested in now when it comes to fiscal responsibility is matching ability with credibility, you see. And the C-R-E-D in the word credibility carries with it the idea of integrity. You're matching integrity and ability now as you administer, in this case, the relief 
funds that are going from the Gentile churches back to the mother church of Jerusalem, which at one point had been the launching pad of the gospel going out to the Gentile world. And now in verse 18, we're sending the brother who's famous among all the churches for his preaching of the gospel. Now, here's what I would like you to do. Uh, From the Greek text now into the English text, pull the G's together. Gospel, grace, glory. Here it comes at you, 19. And not only that, but he has been appointed by the churches to travel with us. He's got credibility as well as ability, combined with accountability, not going it alone, traveling with us as we carry out this act of grace. Third time that expression is used in this eighth chapter, isn't it? Now you connect gospel in 18 with grace in 19, and then he adds furthermore, for the glory of the Lord himself to show our goodwill. So now in a fallen world and in a secular culture in which people are wondering about the relevance of a church when all of a sudden a hurricane comes barreling down on the east coast or maybe it's not so much the natural disasters of this world but maybe there's another form of a disaster that your extended circle of relationships has encountered. What does Christianity have to do with that anyways? And how do you maintain relevance and produce crisis response effectively. Love history. World War II, Shantung Compound, secular skeptic Langdon Gilkey walking the compound where thousands of Westerners are in a concentration camp, Japanese overseeing it in North China. Shantung compounds the story of how these people began to find true purpose in life. Gilkey, the secularist skeptic at that time, says, the real issues of life at that point, I thought, were surely material and political. This was the way in which you addressed ultimate issues. How can we eat, keep warm, be clothed, protected from bad weather, organize our common efforts? It's not that I thought religion was necessarily wrong. I just thought that religion was absolutely irrelevant. Well, the the rubber meets the road here. As he walks, as he walks down the streets of that compound. My feelings found full expression one Sunday morning when rushing by the local church gathering. I was bent on some errand for the housing committee to make sure that people were properly housed and fed. And I hear them singing. And I'm asking myself irritably, what for? What's the purpose in all of this? But then Gilkey's account concludes with an interesting twist. He writes, the community organized with competent, organizational, political, material, skill, and expertise began to come apart. Corruption, open strife, conflict invaded the compound. The talented experts who were able to devise systems, machines, organizations to solve problems, they were not able to provide an ongoing sense of purpose for living 
And then there were those Christians. He ended his section by saying there was a quality seemingly unique to the Christian group. That without pretense to respond to a need which everyone else recognized only to turn aside, these people were initiators. They would leave their their setting, what I call the gathered setting, and take initiative in what I call now the scattered settings. Much of this went unnoticed, the way they met the needs of others, these Christians. But I found our camp could scarcely have survived as well without them. And then he writes, and I've marked this. If there were any evidences of the grace of God observable on the surface of our camp existence, they were found among these people. What you and I would call gathered on the Sunday to be scattered Monday through the Saturday. Where we pull together now this whole matter of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the act of grace, the glory of God, the G's that are found here, and it seizes our attention that what you and I have the opportunity to do is to understand that as we have trusted in the one who is the ultimate act of grace, he has entrusted us with acts of grace to point people to the cross of Jesus Christ when those in their own shantung compound experiences of crises are beginning to wonder about the purpose of life. Why am I here? And why am I going through what I'm going through? You point them to Jesus, you see, as you meet their needs with the gift mix that God has entrusted in you. You trust. He entrusts. And the cross is central. You take a deep breath. You're up to verse 20. We take this course so that no one should blame us about this generous gift that's being administered to us. You see the word minister and the word administered? He is wise. He understands how, how mutual care and fiscal responsibility for a congregation of this size with all these services, needs to understand the relationship of the two. For we aim at what is honorable, not only in the Lord's sight, but also in the sight of man. In other words, integrity and ability wedded together. You take it now to verse 22. And with them, we are sending our brother whom we have tested. Because you and I understand that a faith which can't be tested is a faith which can't be trusted. Titus, this brother, their faith has been tested. Therefore, these finances have been placed in their hands because they've been entrusted. They go forth, earnest in many matters, but who's now more earnest than ever because of his great confidence in you? Well, fiscal responsibility, mutual care. I say, hey, Uncle Tom, how you doing? Well, we talk for a while. And then he ends with what he always ends with whenever he's relating to his nephews, his nieces, and so on. And get this. He ends with this phrase. And Gare, watch out for them gypsies. And I'm thinking, Lord, are you setting me up for this Sunday's message? 
Because in Uncle Tom's mind, that is a phrase he uses to remind everybody that in this fallen world, watch out for those who are on the take, who are going to take from you when my clan is part of on the give, what we give based upon what Christ did, the cross of Jesus Christ. Gypsies, I say to myself. Hey, Uncle Tom, I got a story for you. Uncle Tom says, Gary, you've always got stories. And I said, that comes from hanging out with you when I was younger, Tom. Uncle Tom, um, some of us in our family, we were in Italy. Bumped into some gypsies. Real gypsies. No say, Gary. Yeah. Uh, you see, they were coming down the street, and you know how flamboyant they are? Well, in this particular case, there were a group of women that were coming down the street, and they were dressed not only in white, but they are, their hair was completely white. Their faces were completely white, only with red lipstick. And they were coming in twos and threes. They were looking for the men. And while one woman would walk up to kiss the man on the lips, looking for the tourists who would be so naive at what's happening, the other gypsy then would reach into the pocket of the man and pull out his wallet and carry on. And Uncle Tom says, you see, you got to watch out for the gypsies. Yeah, good time. And I begin to talk about the church and how we want to be people who give, meet needs. And Tom, he ended with this conversation. He said, well, Gear, it's all great. And you tell those ushers of yours to watch out for the gypsies. <laughs> well, I've, you've been told. Fiscal responsibility, you see. In his own way, that's what he's trying to do in this conversation. I get it. But the church has got to be savvy in a fallen world. And so the cross of Jesus Christ is such that as we trust in the God of grace, he entrusts us to do acts of grace. So there's mutual care for one another, fiscal responsibility toward one another, and thirdly, to put a little giddy-up and go in all of this, we develop relational bonds with one another because now we end with 23 and 24. I'm just going to spot a few phrases. As for Titus, you see how he comes full circle here? He began with Titus, ends with Titus. He's my partner. That's a relational bond. Fellow worker, for your benefit, and as for our brothers, that's relational bonds. They're the messengers of the churches, the glory of Christ, because you've kept your G's together, haven't you? Of grace, glory, gospel. So you've gotten to your wrap-up verse. Here's evidence in a secular, skeptic culture of how acts of grace point to the act of grace. Give proof. Give proof before the churches of your love and of our boasting about you to these men. Hey, Gare, our experience has consistently shown that crises, whether it be national or personal, bring about an incredible openness to spiritual conversations medically in ICUs, fiscally in financial planners' offices. We call this the mission field that follows crisis.
and our objective, pointing neighbors and communities to the open arms of Christ. And on that cross, Christ was positioned with open arms. Let's stand together. We want to approach everything holistically here, word and action, and how word shapes action. God's word without error, shaping the way in which we approach a fallen world and bring a sense of reality to life and draw people's attention, whether it be through our financial, our material provisions, other things, to the ultimate spiritual eternal issue of the hour. Jesus died for our sins. We need to know Jesus as Lord and Savior. So help us to take the one another's now. Pull it all together. Keep our eyes open for crises. Step in with the gift mix that you've entrusted into our care. As you have found that we trust in you, we find that you have entrusted in us responsibility to share the gospel of Jesus Christ in this fallen world. And for this, we give you all the praise. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.